it's week five, and despite a one-day delay, the Stat Chasing Boys are back to take you through how all of the injury shakeups are going to impact your fantasy teams and how we can best take advantage of the new situations emerging in the fantasy landscape. This is Stat Chasing. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is why I'm hot. Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Canarius Tony? You can't handle the heat. He looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Thank you for uh, for joining us tonight, Drico. Glad to be here with you. Uh, despite our one day delay, we're we're back in the saddle, here to take you through all the charts for the week. A uh, lot of lot of injuries this week. Feels like I'm I'm sure that we do this every season. Oh my gosh, there's so many injuries this season. But uh, man, with uh, Richardson and Achan and all all these exciting players getting injured, it, it felt particularly brutal this week. I don't know how you felt about it, Drico. Uh, desolate and uh, devastated. Uh, I, uh, I I I've been really happy with my start of the season, and then uh, and, and 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 that's in large part high exposure to Achan, high exposure to, to Justin Jefferson, and um, one of my better teams has uh, Anthony Richardson. So uh, definitely, uh, def- definitely been a blow, and uh, my my um, my cope take is that hopefully some of these guys come back before the end of the year, and maybe those teams that were really good, they're just good enough to get them through, and and maybe I can get some unique uh, Justin Jefferson teams. Into, I was uh, yes, I-, I was saying the same thing, and I. I was trying to make sure that it wasn't cope. I was looking, we just finished putting up the, uh, the BBM four leaderboard with all the player combos. And like, you can see how people were drafting over at spike week. And I was looking, I'm like one of the, the people in the entire tournament with the largest amount of a Chan. And so I really was trying to make sure that this was not a cope take, but I'm pretty sure that given his price where he went all summer, He's already done enough to like you. You would be happy with a player that delivered, you know, spike yeah. that magnitude over the course of a season. Like it's not a smash if he never plays another game the rest of the season. It's not a smash, but it's like that was enough. You know, I got I got enough. And so my my hope and my my cope is, I think that there's a pretty good chance he comes back healthy later in the season. And what we're doing is we're culling some of the weaker Achan teams. And I, I tend to think that my teams in general are, are drafted stronger than the field on average. And so I'll hopefully be able to get a disproportionate amount of Achan into the playoffs, especially since I have so much of him. So that's that's kind of my... Uh, and I, I think you can kind of extend that to a lot of these guys that have, like, obviously, Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, his, his draft cost was significantly higher but he's already done a lot for you. You know, like, sure, Chase had that 50-point game, but Chase put up a couple stinkers while Jefferson was doing Jefferson things and, you know, Cut missed the, the four games. So I, I kind of think that these Jefferson teams, and these Achan teams, they might end up being okay. The ones that I'm pretty mm-hmm. concerned about are the two quarterback Richardson teams, just because it yeah. does sound like that injury is going to be pretty serious. But if you happen to have your other quarterback, like, 
if you've got like a, a Tua Richardson or like a, a Herbert Richardson, something where you've got a really strong other quarterback at cost, uh, I think those could be really interesting come playoff time. Obviously, it stinks for regular season prizes or like drafters style format. We're just trying to accumulate the most points like it, it like in a drafters tournament. If you have Justin Jefferson, your team's dead, which is great. It's so crazy. The differences in the format like, oh, you have a chance. It was like one of the best picks you could have made. Team's dead. Have fun, buddy. See you next season. Right. <laughs> right. Um. So let's uh, I, I think we should get into uh, the, the quarterback chart uh, here. So going to add uh, that that worked out pretty good. Um. And so, uh, like always, we this is a quarterback efficiency chart. And on the horizontal axis, we've got adjusted yards per attempt, which is it's kind of like yards per attempt that rewards touchdowns and punishes interceptions. And then we have touchdown rate, uh, which is, uh, I guess, pretty important for your pocket passers. They, they need to be thrown touchdowns at a uh, pretty good clip. But then also it kind of can kind of also be like a, a volatility measure where if somebody's throwing for good yardage but not getting the touchdowns, then that can possibly signal uh, they could be in line for positive regression on that me metric. And then the size of the bubble, because this is fantasy football central uh, centric, and uh, the size of the bubble is uh, for rushing yardage. Yeah, I uh, when I was putting this chart together this week, uh, a lot of the guys, you know, held their trend. It was same, same that I expected. Uh, a couple guys did enough for me where I was like, okay, I need to reevaluate how I'm assessing this player. Um, the the first one for me was Brock Purdy. The way that I had viewed him prior to this week, and uh, you know, it certainly helped that I was paying a lot of attention to that game as I watched my Cowboys get at curb stomped um but i i think that what we're seeing with purdy and it it makes sense it translates with how the offenses compare and the similar systems is he's just like diet beta tua right like he he's not gonna do quite as much as tua but they're like they're being asked to do similar stuff they've got these incredible weapons that can deliver huge splash plays and help sustain these high touchdown rates that you need from these pocket passers. Neither of them are doing anything on the ground. Um, and, and so I, I'm starting to look at Purdy kind of as Diet Tua. And I wish that I had come around to that during the offseason because I would have drafted a lot more of him. And given his costs and where he went, he definitely looks like he was a strong pick. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to hold the L on my underweight Purdy position there. But that was one where I just I felt like I needed to – you know, check my priors and, and make sure that I'm still being rational there. Pretty, pretty sure it's, you know, we're, we're seeing signal, not just noise. here. Like it's, he's just, yeah. Week five. Uh, we've got a, a five game sample in here. Um, uh, seems like he's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, I, I guess one thing that, uh, that, that I, I'm going to check it now that I guess, um, People would say that is in favor of Chua that uh, is not for and uh, what's his name Purdy. It's kind of the pass rate. So uh, just checking the uh, the situation neutral pass rate for Miami has been sixty two percent, and then for San Francisco, it's been fifty three percent. So I guess that that that's one difference where uh, um. 
you, you would you would I think given a choice you definitely and, and and you said this you definitely prefer Chua, um because you know they're gonna pass more often, um but, but like we said he, he uh, Purdy's playing pretty efficiently he's scoring touchdowns he's getting yardage strong yardage per attempt, um so definitely at at his his prior cost you uh you are very interested yeah um, and. And we mentioned this earlier. Uh, I can't remember what week it was that we uh, discussed this, but Purdy's volume is is just going to be low. You know, that's that's the way the offense is designed. They're not going to have him air it out, you know, forty plus times in a week if they can at all avoid it. And they're they're a good team. They're going to be able to avoid having to do that. Uh, so you're that's his ceiling's kind of capped in that regard. Um, it's not to say that ceiling games are inaccessible to him. Clearly they are on the back of touchdown efficiency. It's, it's kind of like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, diet, there's no need to make other comparisons. Diet to is a totally fine and apt comparison there. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other, the other ones that we saw, um, the Jordan love, uh, I'm wondering if we get like a little bit of a Jordan love metronome effect because there's no way. I mean, he was so efficient the first couple of weeks, right? We all, we saw that and mm-hmm. said he's going to regress, but now he's just like screaming back the other way. And I, I've got to feel like maybe he comes back and settles somewhere in between where, uh, where he is right now on the chart and where he was to start the season. Um, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe with Christian Watson getting to be fully healthy and acclimated in the offense and, you know, you get Aaron Jones back, maybe the offense will look a little more efficient, um, but yeah, I'm wondering if we see a Jordan Love metronome effect there. Uh, was there anyone else on the chart that you saw that you had a, a big takeaway on for this week? Um, just that I, I guess uh, do want to be able to use uh, the the resurrection ADPs while we have them, and uh, because I believe the, uh, the contest is, is closing soon. Um, so Brock Purdy goes around pick eighty. Um, obviously huge. Uh, closing line value there, um, but I, I, I'm I'm now thinking. Let's say, for example, Joe Burrow actually is a good example where he's uh, he's now picked seventy two, and we see him right here around the the five adjusted yards per attempt and uh, low uh, pretty low touchdown rate. Uh, that that uh, I I think that's a comparison that that's pretty interesting where you have like one who's been really efficient. And then another who uh, I think is pretty objectively more talented overall, Joe Burrow, has been bad and, and, and mostly because of the injury probably. Um, I, th- I think that's like an interesting, like if, I, if I'm like trying to f- find ways, how do I play quarterback in, in resurrection and how do I react to the market? Um, arrest, I, I think I'd, I'd, at the same price even, rest the season, I prefer uh, Joe Burrow. Yeah, I 100% agree. And it's, it's because the ceiling with Burrow is not capped in the way that it's capped with Purdy, right? Like your your very, very, very best Purdy game is six touchdowns, right? It's like 300 yards, six touchdowns. That, that'd be like you're, you're living in a dream. Holy shit, Brock Purdy yeah. just went nuclear, right? And and while like, sure, that's a, that's a pretty enormous ceiling like joe burrow has those like i just threw for 500 yards lol games in his in his range like in the same way that a six touchdown game for purdy is really unlikely but it's in the range like that 500 yard game for burrow is in the range 
And so it's just, you're not capping your ceiling quite as much with Burrow. I think that is definitely the way I would want to play it as well. Um, not to say that the market is doing a bad job of pricing Purdy is I kind of like let that ADP marinate in my head a little bit. It's like, yeah, that's probably, that's probably right. You know, um, here's a, here's an interesting one. Brock Purdy or Trevor Lawrence rest of season. And I, I haven't looked at the resurrection ADPs. I've kind of sat that tournament out after my first few drafts. It just wasn't terribly appealing to me given the prize pool. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I just, I, I like to use it as a, uh, as a, what you call it, as a, Oh, I think it's such a good, good metric. It's such a good tool to compare. Yeah. Market sentiment on players. Right. So, but yeah. you want to be, you want to be, um, I guess, transparent. How, how, I, I I've I've done a couple myself, and um, but have not uh, have not been diving in uh, super hard, and um, but like to use it as a tool. And um, Brock Purdy or Trevor Lawrence, um, I mean, given the last couple of weeks, um, I think I'm slightly in favor of uh, I, maybe this is this is a bit contrarian. I'm slightly in favor of Trevor Lawrence, and I just think again you're talking about somebody who's much much better. Like oh, oh, overall, m- m- more talented. The uh, the 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 talent around Purdy is clearly miles better than than uh, Trevor Lawrence. Like you've probably got pretty average talent to. to, to Possibly, possibly below talent, average talent around them, uh, Trevor Lawrence. And he's been making, I think a lot of his like sort of like advanced sort of charted stats have been really, really good. But the fantasy output has not been there. Um, and so I, I almost want to say that's another one where despite a pretty poor start, I, uh, I, do, want, I do want to be in on like a, a Trevor Lawrence rebound. And so I, I'm probably slightly prefer, uh, prefer like in a complete vacuum, um, but the market is actually has pretty ahead of them. So uh, Trevor Lawrence has picked 85 now, and so that's another one where I'm like, oh, you know, like I I, I like being contrarian there. But if someone was to make me be like super super confident and and like I have to spend like um to draft Trevor Lawrence like around a half to two rounds. Before Purdy, I, I'm like definitely getting very angsty, not not liking that. So I, I I'm not trying to say that the the yeah the ADP on Purdy is is inefficient. There, for example, he goes around Kirk Cousins, which you know that seems fair. Yeah. No, yeah, that's that that feels about right to me. Um, it's kind of just a the way that I would be playing that most likely is like that's that's kind of a range of quarterbacks where. I think if anything, like Cousins and Lawrence might be a tiny, tiny bit underpriced with the way that the quarterback, just with the way the quarterback market um, has behaved this season, where every everyone's kind of going a little bit too expensive. But in, in right. resurrection drafts where we have, there's so much less ambiguity. So like you just get these much more like crystallized tiers of like, here's useful players. And after that, it's just, you know, 50 miles of shit <laughs> like yeah so, so then i'm like well at that range in the draft it's probably fine to take these quarterbacks even though like technically i feel like the price might be a little high relative to like what a perfectly efficient market would be for where quarterbacks go with respect to all the mm-hmm. skill position players but like yeah i i would uh i'd be happy to open up stacks for all those guys in that range 
and just take whoever falls to me and, and kind of play it that way. Um, but I think, honestly, there weren't a ton of, uh, of crazy things on the quarterback chart that I saw other than those ones that I, I wanted to point out. Uh, I guess the other one that's interesting to me is that is seeing Russell Wilson and like pretty firmly in the good section of the chart. And I know you, I, I, I pointed out words. This is, this is a uh, Russell Wilson uh, positivism, positivism or bias chart where it doesn't, it doesn't really uh, punish him for taking sacks from holding the ball too long and, and like being able to hold the ball longer is going to push up your adjusted yards per attempt. But it does seem, it does seem pretty interesting to me that he's been clearly pretty productive and uh, they haven't been winning. So I'm sure there is frustration uh, in, in that team. And, um, but it's sort of like this, like if I told you that this was a uh, 2015 chart, and showed you where Russell Wilson was, you'd be like, oh, okay. Look. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And then I'd probably ask you, who is Tua Tagovailoa? Uh, <laughs> right. If we were in 2015. Um, but yeah, no, I I think uh, with Wilson, he's definitely, he's just going to be one of those guys that's interesting for fantasy. He's a little hard for DFS because the stacking options are really not ideal with the way that no. they're using uh, their weapons, the offense. Although I, I believe I saw, did was it Brandon Powell that got cut? There, uh, one some random, or was it Lil Jordan Humphrey? Some random dust ball that they okay. were out got cut. Um, so I'm Brandon and, Johnson. And was, Brandon Johnson, I believe. Yeah, that that sounds right. Uh, yeah, some uh, household name, you know. So right. uh, <laughs> I, I think that it might be oh Humphrey, Lil Jordan Humphrey uh, was who it was. So. I think that might be signal that maybe we're going to start to see a little bit more Mims. Uh, Dulcich also looks like he's coming off IR. You actually provided some really good uh, Dulcich-related alpha in the offseason, uh, vis-a-vis the Troutman uh, insider information as well. So I am I guess we can save that for the tight end chart, but I'm kind of curious to see how this offense starts to shape up. Um, and, right. and if we actually get some potential usable stacking options with Russell Wilson, or if it's just like, yeah, he occasionally produces for fantasy, but it's really hard to pick the right weapon. And, and sometimes there just isn't a right weapon. A lot of it, just that offense flows through the backs. So it's a, it's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I agree for sure. Um, so I think um, that's probably a good uh, jumping off point to uh, finish up with the quarterbacks. Um, and I'm going to uh, zoom us out here so we can see all the running backs. So here, this is our first uh, running back chart. And, and honestly, it's my favorite chart that we do. Um, this is, it, it basically breaks down each of the plays that um, a running back is on the field for as a percentage of their uh, team's overall and so you have rush attempts and sort of like a lot of running backs, bread and butter. You have um, their, their roots and uh, you have pass blocking and, and pass blocking. It's not fantasy helpful, but it is good to know who's trusted to pass block and then run blocking, which is like, yeah, uh, you're, you're, you're on the field, but you're not a, uh, you're not, there's no chance that you're uh, this, this does not translate to anything fantasy wise, but good, good to see. Yeah, and, one. Oh, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. 
I, I was going to say one note for, for this chart and for the tight end charts coming up. Uh, for these, we do like a rolling four weeks of data um, just because the usage, it's, it's important to be able to see how the trends evolve over the season where for like quarterbacks and wide receivers, we really want to get those larger samples to kind of like get rid of some of the noise and the small sample stuff. But for the running backs and tight ends, we do want to be current and staying on top of emerging trends. And so that's, for example, why you see, you know, Saquon Barkley all the way at the top of the chart now. Well, we're missing a we bunch took of at week one. Yeah, we're missing week one. And then Saquon also missed some weeks with injuries. So we've got a really small sample. So we're just looking at a super small sample for Saquon. Um, but for everyone else who's been playing games, we're getting a more recent view on their usage trends. So I think that's a, a useful feature of this chart. Yeah, yeah. Um, that That's a, a good call out and, and, and great explanation. So, I mean, it, it, it just strikes me out straight away. Uh, the top of this chart is just not what we uh, expected at the start of the year. Like, okay, we have Saquon, then Kyron Williams. We've talked about that. Rashad White, Joe Mixon, Zach Moss. Um, that's just like a, a really surprising, uh, what is it, top four, top five? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of guys up at the top of the chart where we definitely were not drafting them that way during the offseason. Uh, one of the ones to me that I, I think that was really interesting to me is we finally we saw Josh Jacobs get there a little bit this week. Finally, he found his way into the end zone. He got a lot of targets uh, in that game, and so his usage translated a little bit more into fantasy points. He had not, you know, he he'd had this elite usage, and we'll see it when we get to the next running back charts with their expected fantasy points. He'd always showed you know really good expected fantasy points, but was being really inefficient and not actually converting on them. This week, we saw him be able to get there a little bit. Um, it'll improve his uh, expected fantasy points efficiency. Just from getting the touchdowns um, definitely helps there. But we saw Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, show why, hey, you, you paid a, you know, elevated cost for Jacobs because there's so much work there that in general, you've just got such a high floor for most weeks. The other guy that's right in that. Yeah, he's got like 21 expected points per game. Like yeah. He's He's literally got the double-double profile where 10 expected rushing points and 11 expected receiving points. So pretty, uh, pretty like, not doing not doing jack with it a lot of weeks, but, like, very, like, really, like, really strong role. Really there was, strong uh, role. I was, I was paying particularly close attention to Josh Jacobs uh, in the, really the second half and fourth quarter of that game. Because on that showdown slate, I had a uh, very live lineup, and I needed Josh Jacobs uh, and Musgrave to get me there. And uh, so I see Jacobs racking up all of these just little dink and dunk PPR points. <laughs> like, all right, two yards, that's whatever. That's 1.2, baby. Let's keep it going. And he just gets all these little worthless targets. Like, But, hey, they're they're worthwhile for fantasy. So good, good for Jacobs. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but the other guy, and then I to... Trav Oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, we're we're gonna talk about the same guy. I was gonna bring up Etn as well. Um, oh, how did I didn't even say Etn? We we just had a meeting of minds. Yes, I mean, great minds think alike. So, 
Uh, but no, he ETN looks elite. He he looks like you know at the start of I, I want to say at the very very start of draft season, ETN was in like I want to say he was in the third round. Like kind of is that am I remembering this right? He was kind of like in the the late twenties ADP wise, and then someone someone came out and and put out a smear campaign on ETN, and he fell precipitously, you know, into the fourth round. And uh, man, he, the price, the market was right, right away. And uh, I, uh, dude, it's it's this stupid name effect. Tank Bigsby, like, sure, Tank Dell has has been productive. But, like, if you get a guy with a six-sounding name, Sky Moore, Tank Bigsby, like, the right. market is just going to attribute the cool name price boost on it. And by, you know, by effect, that dragged etn down a little bit because everyone was so sure tank bigsby was going to be legit and yeah tank bigsby has been annoying he tanks he, he's more so just been a thorn in etn's side he's what's preventing etn from being like the rb1 if etn got more of those green zone touches that bigsby has siphoned off and he ran good and converted them like you you could there's a there's an outcome where etn has five more touchdowns this season and we're talking about you know, is who do you who do you like rest of season? Travis Etienne or Christian McCaffrey? You know, like that's that right. could have happened. So I uh, I definitely think Etienne's really exciting going forward. Uh, just like you were saying about Trevor Lawrence, like if we if we just think about like the best outcomes for this offense, it's really exciting for for really all of these pieces. I just I just think this is an offense that you want to have pieces of um so very very excited about etn going forward yeah yeah i, I agree agree you said pretty much everything that i was going to say and I took it right at <laughs> right right out of my map um and then interesting as well that um Bijan is like right up here where if you look at the rolling four games he he he's in the bell cap part of the chart um, I know week one Tyler Algier, uh, he had a he had a pretty good share, but you take that out, and it's it, it looks like it's been all Bijan. Yeah, I know, I know we had a we had the the carry thing uh, last week where they they sort of split at fifty fifty, but I I I I do prefer to look at the the rolling four so you don't hone in on, on single games too much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Bijan, I mean, it, it's going to sound weird to say that he's a buy low candidate because it feels like every week, even if he has like slightly less fantasy production than you'd want, like he's still putting out some flashy play. Those, uh, is it is it the official Falcons Twitter account that keeps showing these really cool camera angles of Bijan just yeah. looking like a baller, man? Oh my gosh, this guy's so fun to watch. But like the little catches the ball behind the back kind of crossover into the end zone Whew. he's he's nice he's really fun to watch man but I, I would i mean if you can if you're if you're dealing with someone who is not watching the games um i would be interested in buying low on Bijan just because i think that with how talented he is and like this team wants to establish it they want to do things through the running backs too in the passing game and just think he's so talented that He's going to force Arthur Smith to give him more work. Um, and I mean, he's already he's already getting it. But I just I think that if you start getting some good efficiency games from Bijan and you know they they're playing from ahead and they just get to establish it like they want to, 
you could have some crazy ceiling games from that guy. So uh, it, it's, I mean, you can't even really buy him low. He's been fine. I guess it's a buy medium, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that people talk about buy low, um, but there's also the concept of buying high where you have an ascending player. And then if you're buying at a price where like, he's had, a, he's had a good game and, and you're buying off of that good game, People actually they adjust, sometimes adjust too slowly. So like um, just for example, Bijan his his res, uh, his resurrection draft at ADP is six seven, which is like not that different to his uh, his preseason. And then you compare that to uh, to CMC who's just clearing away the one hundred one. Um, like you're you're sort of buying high on Bijan, but if the trend or, or like if, if he like achieves the type of season that he could, he could like just totally like um deliver one oh one value just like so easily. So I, I, I do th- I think it, it it sort of is like a buy high, but it's a it's a good it's a very good buy high. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. And I, I was just having this conversation with someone that there's a lot of fantasy players out there, and this is more with uh, we're talking about season long and trading dynasty, I guess. Sometimes people are scared to pay that premium price that the truly elite fantasy assets deserve. And mm-hmm. so you just need to be willing. I mean, and, and so much of fantasy football comes down to, hey, there's like five dudes. There's like literally five total guys who are the true, true difference makers in this game. And you just need to be willing to pay up for guys like that. And if your opponents are not willing to break the bank for it and you can outbid them in a trade or, you know, if you're in an auction format, you just, you're just willing to, Hey, my, my auction rankings say that this guy's only worth $62. Oh gosh. I do. I want to go six, dude, it doesn't matter. Just go to, go to 70. You know, like what, what were you really going to do with that last $7? Like just get a couple $1 flyers. The, the difference between your $7 player and your $1 player, it's like nothing compared to the the difference in actually getting a Bijan Robinson versus settling for, you know, the, the running back. That's just a Saquon Barkley, right? You're like, ah, I won't, I won't take Bijan. I'll settle for Saquon. He'll only be $45. Like, well, congratulations. I really hope that you're enjoying sixth place this season. You know, like right. you need the elite guys to win. And so it's just being willing to, when you've identified a guy like that, just go with it. Like you pay, pay all the way up. Man. Is, um, I think is Brees Hall, who's down here at the bottom and uh, just 40% of his, uh, uh, if you, um, um well i guess you know um i'm, I'm just i'm just looking at, at week five so Brees hall we have him here at 40 percent kind of useful snap if you use uh, run, uh rush attempts and, and uh roots and whereas i guess week five even though he had the really strong expected points game and uh, eight so eighteen and a half expected points he was out only on the field for half the uh half the snaps and um, yeah. they, they, they use them to block zero and uh, in pass blocks and run blocks. So pretty, it's, it kind of seems like every time Bruce Hall is on the field, he's getting the ball almost. 100%. So that, uh, that, that one is interesting for me where I thought um, the trend was going to be for him to like really rise. Um, but 
it sounds like it almost like he could he can live down in in in, in the lower part of the chart just from such a high like concentration of usage when he's on the field but definitely uh as, as we approach playoff i would 100 percent expect him to be uh to be in the top half of this chart yeah i think that's a really good assessment uh what i would say is michael carter is like no no disrespect to michael carter the man or his family but he's like the jaggiest jag of all jags like you know he's a cardboard cutout you know just who whoever could be doing the job that Michael Carter is doing, except for Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is too washed to do that job. Um, so I think that Brees has a ton of runway to take more of those snaps, but it's really hard. Like, dude, the guy had 25 carries. <laughs> like, it's really hard to to want to. I mean, you're running back who's fresh off an ACL injury, like do you really want to put more than 25 carries a game on it? I mean, it, it was abundantly clear. And, and I feel like Robert Sala right. is definitely a sharp enough coach to where he's like, dude, if we're going to win this game, it's on the back of Brees and, and we need to put the ball in his belly and let him do his thing. And, and there's, there's a reason why when they came out, you know, of the of halftime, the, the thing that they decided to do was, let's let Brees try and break this game open for us. And he, he did, you know, like that's, mm -hmm. that's their number one, a plus play is give the ball to Brees Hall. So what we did see in the usage was that Michael Carter did get a lot of the passing work. I fully expect Brees Hall to be able to win whatever amount of that the coaches decide that he's able to handle. And I think that, like you said, the later that we get in the season, the more likely he's going to be able to take some of that. I think a big part of why the snapshot was where it was, was he's breaking long runs and, and they were feeding him a lot. It wasn't like, Oh, he's on the field right. and like not getting carries. Like, dude, take the guy off. He just he ran the ball five times on the same drive with him. Like he's taking a pounding, like give him, get the guy some water, you know? But uh, right. so I, I think he's got room to rise a little bit. I would anticipate his usage staying uh, on the bottom half of this chart for a while, but you don't really need, he's one of those elite efficiency backs, you know, absolute stud, uh, in my opinion. So when you best running back, right. Oh, and we don't want to like, I guess, I guess to be like, uh, where a player will be on the chart. Um, how, how, I, I guess my question is, um, how long more do you think, uh, how long more do you think before he's getting more targets or do you, do you think that's kind of like a, like it, it could say like that until like week 15 or, or something it's like a, that. It's a good question. And I, I do think that a big part of it comes down to how confident the coaching staff feels uh, the value of those targets actually is. And, and what I mean by that is they don't really care about the passing game as much right now as the run game because they're like passing game shit anyway dog like we don't we don't we don't right. need you running routes out here like they're not worth anything zach ain't gonna hit you um and, and so they're like we're fine having michael carter run out here and just like occasionally it'll be an errant ball and occasionally he'll catch it and whatever happens happens like sometimes we got to throw to the backs so i think that if we do see a quarterback change happen in new york you would i i I feel pretty strongly that that would be a a spot where you would almost immediately see a change in usage where it would be, it wouldn't be this gradual thing that we're talking about happening over the course of the season. 
let's just say I don't I don't think there's a ton of substance to these uh, Kirk Cousins to the Jets rumors, but just let's live in fantasy land here for a second. Let's say Kirk Cousins goes to the Jets at the trade deadline, right? I think that it, let's just say Brees has been getting that 55%, 60% snap share. I think you immediately see the snap share jump up into like the 70, 75% range. And those additional snaps he's getting are almost exclusively usage in the passing game for him if they get a competent quarterback. So that's, I think it's uh, predicated mostly on the fact that they don't think their passing game is worth very much right now. And so there's no, there's no need to deploy their very best player who they're, they're trying to be conscientious of how much volume they, you know, how much work they put on him um, where they're saying, whatever, someone else can, right. can take this low value stuff. We're saving you for the stuff that's important. So. Yeah. Makes sense. I think I'd, I'd like to see maybe get him some screens or something like that, but yeah, it makes sense. And um, definitely don't want them their pass blocking when, uh, Michael Carter seems to do it fine. Don't I don't see a lot of uh, players here where we haven't really touched on them. No, I mean, uh, just like trends continuing would be like DeAndre Swift is going to, uh, he's, Kenny, Kenny Gainwell is, is what Kenny Gainwell is, you know? And like, we saw it play out last season. We, for whatever reason, didn't learn the lesson. Let let some people talk us into the fact that Kenny Gainwell was the Eagles back to draft because he's going so late. It's like, yeah, if you want a satellite back plus, then you can take him or you can take Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard and Kenny Gainwell are the same shit. You know, like one of them's in a better offense, but one of them has a way better chance of beating out the back ahead of him for significant work. So it's like, yeah, whatever. But, but Swift is just going to, He's going to take as much of that share as he's able to carry. They're, they're going to want to give him more because he's doing well with it. Um, the the thing that's going to be interesting to watch is if there's ever any, you know, injury or Swift misses any time. And definitely hope that does not happen because he's, he's a super fun running back to watch. Um, it'd be interesting to see, do they just go to Gainwell and he gets a ton of work? Is it Boston Scott? Like does maybe maybe what we saw earlier from Rashad Penny where he looked so bad maybe he like wasn't fully healthy or something I I don't know but uh, it'd be interesting to see what would happen in a swiftless backfield but I I think that trend will continue one yeah. of the other ones it, that it's I, so untenable for uh, for Gainwell to keep playing this bad and and still be so trusted yeah. Uh, one of the other ones that I think might continue is Ramondre Stevenson is working his way down the chart. And I kind of think that might continue as well. Uh, the Patriots offense has been really bad lately. And and Stevenson has been worse than he was last season as well. So I'm just wondering if they're, uh, I, I don't know what's going on in New England, man. It looks, it looks pretty dire. So I think you could easily see Zeke just take these. I mean, the, the touches are almost entirely worthless anyway, so it's it doesn't really matter. It's probably not worth spending a ton of energy discussing. But, yeah, I think Ramondre is uh, going to wind up heading down the chart a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely feels uh, feels like uh, like it's gone from, like, maybe 60-plus to, to probably – I mean, right last week he was around fifty, and that's—I mean—that's probably a floor, but 
it's like you said, when he's playing this poorly, it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, with that, uh, I guess we can point out that Matt Breida in, uh, in the last couple of games, like let's say since uh, week three, Matt Breida has had um, 71% of, uh, of the team's snaps. Uh, yeah, since um, in the last three weeks. So he, he would be higher. And, and he's definitely the the bell cow in um in the for the Giants when uh, when Saquon is down, but that's translated to just nine expected points. So it's like seventy percent of snaps, nine expected points, and it that that does does feel pretty uh, uh telling for how uh, how bad and poor the uh, the Giants offense has been for fantasy, especially. The uh, especially the backs, um, but all all round, and um, that does make me think. Uh, it, it it definitely makes me pretty shy about taking stops on uh, on that offense. Yeah, it's it's an entirely dysfunctional offense, and I go back to what uh, Ben Gretsch has has been saying, kind of this whole like in the off season and, and first couple weeks of stealing signals. Like, there's going to be offenses that are functional that. And not just functional, but so good that the haves and the have-nots that crush, where you, you just want any any bit of that offense you can get your hands on, you want it. There's going to be offenses where you want absolutely nothing to do with them, and the Giants are one of them. Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um. So yeah, let's uh let's move on. And uh, so this is same chart, but here we've got uh we've got basically the backups. Anybody uh, stand out to you here? The Amari Di Mercado stuff. Um, I know waivers have already passed for for most people. I know we, you know, you got uh, like FFPC waivers tonight. But for Amari Di Mercado, um, the thing that I am interested in, he's gotten a ton of steam as oh, he's the passing down guy, and now that Connor's going to be out, he's the back to own. I I always hate when I'm against the market on stuff like this. And to be perfect, like for full transparency, I, I emptied the clip on fab on him in my, my home league. I you know, told, told people to do the same, but I, I kind of think that it's Keontae Ingram and it's, it's, it feels like too little of a signal to go off of, but the Cardinals released their depth chart and had Keontae Ingram listed as the RB one. He had missed time with a neck injury the last couple weeks, but he's, he's like, at least kind of interesting and like could be kind of good. He he wasn't good last season, you know, but I don't think Amari Di Mercado is very good. He wasn't an exciting prospect or anything. So I, I'm I'm worried that the Amari Di Mercado uh waiver pickup might be fool's gold. And you know, I'm I'm gonna end up starting him in a dynasty league this week. But uh I think that it might end up being uh, you start Di Mercado, the week plays out, and it's like he got you know three targets for twelve yards and four carries for fifteen yards, and it was Keontae Ingram that got the James Conner workload. So I'm just a little hesitant there. I mean, if Keon- if you got a choice between Di Mercado or Keontae Ingram, the market would definitely tell you it's Di Mercado right now. But I'm just interested. Uh, I'm leaving a light on for Keontae Ingram. I, I think it's more ambiguous than the market is representing currently. So that was one 
on this chart that I wanted to talk about. The other one is Spears. And Spears is looking. So it does seem, I guess, just that on Ben Mercado, it does seem like he's definitely the uh, the passing down back. Like even when uh, even when Connor is like around, um, he he, it seems like he's the one who's been getting the roots. That's that's correct, but it's also been without Keontae Ingram around, and so I'm wondering. So yes, they do seem to like De Mercado over Connor in some passing situations, but is that necessarily the case? Like, do they feel the same way with him relative to Keontae Ingram? And and I don't know the answer, you know. Uh, but I'm just saying I think it's more ambiguous than the market would have us think right now. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think that's actually fair because I'm looking at I'm looking at the, the last time. So the last time they were uh, they're both healthy, or or, or uh, Keontae played a full game. I think Ingram had he had five routes, and the Mercado had a uh, three routes. So yeah. That, uh, that, that seems pretty fair, whereas like, we don't actually have a huge sample size of when they're both healthy. Yeah, and I, I think they're, I mean, like if I have to give the edge to one of them, like I think Ingram's probably a slightly better football player than Di Mercado. And so, I don't know. It, it, I think it's close, though, and the market wouldn't have you believe that currently with everything I've seen. If, if, you, if you already were on Ingram, then good for you. You're, you're thinking about it critically. But it could be either guy is all I wanted to say. I wanted to point out Spears as well on this chart um, just because we saw like flashes of competency with the Tennessee offense. Like Hopkins had a good game and looked, looked kind of like vintage Hopkins. So I think that, I mean, let me, let me paint you a picture. It's week 12. Uh, the Tennessee Titans are on a five game win streak. Mike Vrabel's got the team squarely in the playoff hunt. Ryan Tannehill's looking like vintage Ryan Tannehill and the offense is humming and they're, you know, they're delivering usable fantasy weeks for multiple weapons and Derrick Henry goes down, misses some time. Isn't Tajay Spears like incredibly valuable that with what we've seen from him and like if you look at it through the lens of this offense could get it together, like it's not the wildest thing in the world to think that a Mike Vrabel team kind of gets their shit together over the course of the season, right? Like he's, he's a good coach. He's like very, very boomerific and that they really want to establish it and, and all that raw, Rob, you know, bite, bite their kneecaps, not, not all the way Dan Campbell bite their kneecaps, but you, you know what I'm saying? But I, I think right. that, that could, that's a interesting situation. So Spears is a great stash in my opinion. Yeah. I, I mean, um, He's averaging since week three. He's had ten expected points per game, um. So I almost um think um may, maybe he's one of those players where you you, you don't know the, the week to start him, um. But that all that that seems almost startable to me. Would you say he's better in basketball? <laughs> I, I I was about to yeah so. I mean, okay, so week one, 8.8 expected points, week two, seven, 8.8, 8.5, and then 11.8. So, like, that seems like actually, like, for a zero RB team, that seems actually, 
you're you're happy to start that. Yeah, if you squarely, uh, if you squarely in the win category for a zero RB team. If you drafted Spears as a zero RB uh, part of your right. zero RB cohort, that's a that's a big W. It's looking like, and and the contingent um, upside is fantastic, right? That's like yeah, that's the dream. That's what you want. You're getting these little usable weeks to not die at the position, and in the event that things break your way, all of a sudden you've got a super team. So. So uh, his ADP in the resurrection is 114. So, I mean, that leads me to believe that in, in, in definitely in shallower leagues and um, uh, it, that he's available. And if, if, if you, like me, have uh, have some teams where you're not sure who who to start at, at running back or, or who to take, like, seems pretty crystal clear. Like, that's a an elite uh, zero RB option. Um, here's a here's a fun one. Uh, yeah. Spears or Roshan Johnson rest of season. Um, I would say I I would say Spears. Um, just because. Um, I guess Rosh, Roshan has had the injury in front of him, but then you have to figure out oh, how's that going to work out with Dante Foreman, um, and. I all in the zero RB contingent upside stuff. I always prefer the guy who's already playing good snaps anyway, because like there, there's there's no clearer signal that a team likes a guy and trusts a guy than they're already playing him. Like yeah. they're taking snaps away from Derrick Henry to play this guy, and like I, I there's definitely been signs that Derrick Henry is a little bit uh, past the the hill, and um, but that to me. They, they 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 must love this guy, and so if Derrick Henry were to miss time, they're like okay, like next man up, like they 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 already trust him. So that to me is like, I guess he is small and, and you have the issues, but I'd be uh, I I have having seen that um that outlook for him or that, that start for him, like I I think that's super strong. That's a that's a good point. I. Uh... I, I think I thought it was closer when I asked you that question, but you've swayed me. I've I've come around a little more, and I like and, and not to dump on Roshan. I'm just like super excited about Tajay. Yeah, that's fair. Then I don't I I guess it's it's a bit interesting that Devin Singletary is um is on this chart that it it, it felt a little bit like at the start of the year that he was going to be a little bit more irrelevant and feels pretty strong that he's there and, and and sort of like good distribution where he's got rush attempts and he's got uh, roots. So, and and the offense is sort of humming. Like, I don't know if he's, um, I don't think he's exactly startable, but you're uh, That's another one where he's not startable basically, but, (laughs) <laughs> That's another one where your contingent upside is. Uh, I, I just looked at the expected points. He's not startable, but your your contingent upside is is pretty good there. I think. Yeah, I'm not as sold on the contingent upside on that one. I mean, shoot, like I, I don't think even if say Damian Pierce goes down, like it, they're not they're not about to like Devin Singletary Bell Cow Alpha back. Welcome. <laughs> He's going out of pick two ten. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. At pick 210 for sure. Yeah. Go, go ahead. I'll, I'll take him as a last round pick. 
Especially like that, because... That, that's like clear mispriced to me. Yeah, that's... yeah. You're okay. With, with that piece of context, 100%. And it, especially like, I guess in... going from Tajay Spears to Devin Singletary is probably like a <laughs> little bit of whiplash. But yeah. g- given how like dead and buried he is, and he was on a, he was on our waiver wire at last week for stat chasing. We didn't get him. But like in, in situations like that where you're, you're trying to pick cigar butts up, off the ground, like <laughs> premium, premium cigar butt right here. Oh, yeah. There's still some life left on that stogie for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that uh, the uh, the Devin Singletary like contingent upside at pick 210 is definitely way better than the stuff that's available in that range. And again, what we talked about in resurrection, there's so much less ambiguity. So during the off season, when you're drafting guys that are going like in that undrafted range, there's some real gems there. You know, there's Kyron, there's Puka, there's Tutu, there's justice Hill. There's, there's some awesome stuff. Um, But now like cats out of the bag on most of those guys. So the ambiguous stuff is just for the most part dead and gone. And so to get right. Devin Singletary there where it's like people just buried him because he's not not super exciting, but like that's a guy might get you seven points in a week that you need it, you know? So right. that's worth it at that point in the draft. Where normally in best ball, like with that last round pick, fuck your seven points. Like give me, give me someone who has some crazy upside, you know, but like right. in resurrection, it's just, a, it's a slightly different version of the game. Yeah. But right. I mean, he, he had a, he had six and a half points in week three. Ooh. So like that, that, and that's, that, that's not even contingent value. So like you, it, in some rougher uh, uh, zero B rooms, I guess you, you still get some starts, but if Damian Pierce were to go down, like I definitely think 10 to 15 is, like weekly is is pretty pretty viable there. Yeah, you you got me on the ten, maybe not on the fifteen. <laughs> Listen, I won I won a tournament on fifteen points from Devin Singletary. Fair. All right, let's move to the tight end chart here. Uh, oh, I lied. Uh, oh, we still we still have expected points. So, <laughs> I I mean. I think uh, probably best to, to talk about maybe some of the efficiency. Yeah. Uh, given that we've talked so much about usage. Yeah. When I was first uh, looking at this chart, um, there were a couple, we already talked about Swift. We talked about Pacheco last week, um, but the stuff I was noticing was guys in that five to 10 fantasy point range, which I mean, speak of the devil, there's Devin Singletary. I saw a lot of guys though in that range uh, both on this one and the next chart that we'll look at, where I was like, these are all kind of interesting. Like, there, there's a lot of guys here where I'm like, uh, we talked about Tajay Spears as well. It's it's so funny. Like, all the guys that we just spent a bunch of time talking about, they're all right there in this range. And that's that's why I had kind of identified this as a, a lucrative spot of the chart to uh, to drill down on. Uh, Jalen Warren, Tajay Spears, I think P. Ryan, you know, uh, really you're just looking at uh, Broncos, backfield, member ideally there's not three of them active is is what you're looking at there with either jaleel or p ryan um but you know justice hill being in there too uh we did see justice hill again when he's healthy because in that first week back he only got 11 snaps but when he's healthy he's the one that's getting the high value touches for the running backs which is does the thesis all along on justice hill 
And so I definitely think that you can see this, this group of guys here in this five to 10 range, I see the potential for upward trajectory for a lot of them. And, and we talked about a lot of them. Uh, Charbonnet as well. We didn't cover on cause he had a, he had a buy, but uh, Charbonnet I think is also interesting cause we've seen his snap share and his routes increase week over week. Um, and Kenneth Walker's routes and involvement in the passing game decreased a little bit. And, and Charbonnet looked, has looked like the kind of back that gets Pete Carroll all hot and bothered to, you know, he's just willing to run his face into another man's face. So, um, but that range, that was my, when I put this chart together, I was like, man, this five to 10 point range is actually what we need to focus on and talk about this week. Cause there's some really interesting players here. Yeah. Uh, agree. Um, I, I, I guess, it, we've uh, we've sort of like hit on them all or, or most of them. Um, I don't know know if there's anyone we haven't talked about. Like I, I mean, we we've we've buried buried Najee Harris. Like honestly, it's it's sort of shocking to see him in the uh, five to ten expected points range. Like he's done he's like, done a little better, you know, for for like. And I don't hear what I'm not saying, like. Still not going to be drafting very much Najee Harris. I mean, I know the market has started to come around on like a more efficient price for him, but uh, he's been better with respect to like what Najee has been. He's been the better version of Najee lately where he's had a couple breakaway runs. And, you know, I mean, he's the, the most frustrating thing about, I, I'm just, I'm going to put myself in the headspace of a Najee fantasy owner right now. And I'm watching Najee Harris, who I was so excited to draft. He's disappointed me all season, and he breaks a long run. And he's breaking away from the defense. And just when I'm thinking he's going to pull away and score a touchdown, there's defensive linemen gaining on him. And he is getting <laughs> caught from behind by, like, the the ref who looks like he needs a walker to be out there on the field is, like, also gaining on Najee. Like, the dude is never... I, Take this to the bank. Najee Harris will not have a breakaway touchdown of more than 50 yards for the rest of his career. There's no shot that like you would need an earthquake to put every defender on the ground for him to do that. Like this guy just cannot. I mean, he's he's having some of these breakaway runs, but his top end speed is just not there. So it that's gotta be frustrating if you're uh if you're a Najee manager and you're watching him break away and you're like well i'm never getting a touchdown out of this but i got my two points for the 20 yards that he got me so that's cool yeah um yeah pretty uh pretty rough so you uh you you're sort of down bad for getting efficiency and then also um uh you're you're not get you're not getting all all the work or even close to it you're getting five to ten expected points which... all right that was our that was our contractually obligated shit on Najee segment for the week. Yeah. So that's that. Uh, let's move on. Uh, one. So call back to last chart, but we can stay on this one because it's two players from the different charts. But you'll you'll notice um, Sanders on the last chart was starting to move in the wrong direction, and Chuba is looking like he could be moving uh, more in a desirable direction now. There's that Sanders is dealing with an injury, so we can't be 100% certain that it's, oh, the team feels that Chuba's the better option. 
Chuba, uh, shout out to Ben Gretsch for this little nugget. Chuba has been taking a higher percentage of the high value touches away from Sanders. Sanders is getting more snaps, but Chuba is representing a larger amount of the high value touches in the offense, which is not great. If you're a Miles Sanders manager, you'd really prefer for him to have at least a proportionate amount of the high value touches. So I do think that's, uh, interesting for Chuba. And again, like the theme holds for this week, guys in that five to 10 fantasy point range. I think the reason that these are interesting is because like for a lot of the higher end guys, we've talked about them ad nauseum at this point. And like most of a a lot of those trends are holding or like at least continuing. And so it's kind of same old, same old, but some of these guys in the five to 10 range look like things could change for them. And so that's why they're the most interesting I think another one that shows up on this chart in that area is Cam Akers. Oh, man. I don't know exactly how to feel about it. Um, so see see where Madison is on the chart. He's right on that, you know, barely in the 15 to 20 expected fantasy point threshold. I think a lot of that is uh, like kind of the, the earlier weeks holding in there from when he had even even higher usage. How do you think this Acres and Madison stuff shakes out? Where do both of them end, respectively, on this chart? Let's say six weeks from now. Where 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 do those guys end up? So I it does seem like it's sort of trending to where it's like a hot hand situation, and like it, they're they're both sort of like fifty fifty. So I guess if we're looking at Madison being at a 15 let's say let's say just round numbers and there's 20 20 total in the backfield and expected points then i guess for me and maybe this is a cop out i'm just gonna i I, i'm just gonna split it roughly in two and say they're uh they're both end up around 10 and i guess that's been pretty much what's been true the last two weeks so week four and Madison had 11.4 week five. He had 9.9. So that it like, I feels like maybe, maybe, um, pretty fair last two weeks. Uh, acres have been 5.9, 4.7. So yeah, I mean, maybe definitely on the, the, maybe the higher end of somewhere between eight and 10 each is where I'd put them. It's it's trending towards when I when I had looked at the data and thought like this is something I I want to ask I, I legitimately wanted to get your opinion on it because that was the exact same conclusion I came to as like maybe I'm just like middling it too much I'm like they'll just both be ten whatever um, but I'm glad you felt the same way because that makes me feel a little more validated in my opinion I was like maybe maybe I'm just like anti Madison pilled and he he should be higher but no I I agree with you they probably both end up right around that 10 fantasy point range. And, uh, but I, I think what you mentioned about the hot hand thing is, uh, is what makes this the most interesting to me. And it's that it's not that every week they will each be 10. It's that right on average, they will be 10, but you will get usable weeks from both of them. Um, and I especially think that in the games where the Vikings are playing weaker competition, where especially teams that are weaker against the run, where now they have less incentive to throw because the best wide receiver in football is 
on IR for a couple weeks, you might end up getting a little bit more out of these guys. And that's really interesting. And what's especially interesting is one of my best ball teams that I was just so pissed at myself for drafting Cam Akers on also had a really early share of Alexander Madison at like pick 120 or something stupid like that. So now I've got the the fun Madison Akers ping pong weeks. I'm sure you all oh, care great. tremendously about this. I will keep you posted on how it goes this season. I'm sure that's, that's going to be a, what yeah. advances me to the finals, the the Akers-Madison ping pong in week 16. That's a, that's a tournament winning combination right oh, there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was, I was thrilled. I, I actually, I had a thought, um, just a, um, and, and maybe I'm way off here. I almost wondered, though, if them not having Madison actually stops them being able to run because their offense is less efficient, so they're in less uh, positive down-distance situations. They're less likely to have the lead. Like, I I almost wonder if, like, um, Jefferson being gone is uh, is a negative. For, 100, for 100% agree with you. I, that's why I, I qualified it with, I think it's, it's when they're playing weaker teams, weaker competition, especially mm-hmm. those that are weak against the run. But in general, I agree with you. It's, it's bad news for both of these backs. I think that... You know, it, on on average, it's going to get worse for these guys before it gets better, um, and it's it's really just going to come down to how the season shakes out for the Vikings. I, I think that people that are talking about like, oh, the Vikings might blow it all up, they might trade away Kirk Cousins. Like, thing is a little overblown. Number one, because that division is just trash. I by the this is this is a little bit of a not segue, but. Are the Lions actually good? Like I, I feel I feel like everyone's like on. <laughs> I hate to do this. Should we talk about um uh, some of the situations where uh, a, a guy's gotten injured and there's kind of like uh, Phillips or are there, there's people wondering about like hey who uh, what, what what should I do? Like for example, um what's the best what what do you think is the best way to play the Miami backfield right now? Have a, have a piece of it. <laughs> literally pick pick a card any card i'm uh if if you're doing it off waivers it's uh it's jeff wilson in my opinion but like if you can't get jeff wilson just grab the next one you know <laughs> like right it's the yeah it's, it, it, it's, you want a shot right yeah look at the efficiency look at the size of those bubbles man like i want whoever is getting right if mike mcdaniel himself is lining up in the backfield taking care of like <laughs> I'll take a shot on Mike McDaniel, you know, like just, I, I want a piece of the backfield. So the, the correct answer is play it, have a piece of it. Um, right. And then if you have a team, like for example, in season long, if you're trying to figure out how to play it, I mean, if there's anyone that's got a chance in your league and they're desperate, they need the production now, like that's the kind of guy where I'm trying to go get it. And and just hold it on my roster if I'm in a good position to make the playoffs like that seems extremely lucrative. Um, but no, in, in general, Jeff Wilson would be my my preference there. I mean, most uh, assuming you're not going to be able to get most, or he's already rostered, and no one's going to trade him now with a Chan out. So yeah, yeah, uh, Moser is already a uh, a third round pick. Or sorry, no, fourth round pick in Resurrection. So definitely, I, I I think that's probably pretty out of reach, um. But you 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 definitely want to be prioritizing and uh, getting a piece of it, uh, and and like you said, even if Jeff Wilson isn't there, 
you you want to you want to put yourself in a position where you could just lock into a, a significant share or, or, or a reasonable share of the Miami backfield. And and then the other one that I I, I was thinking about is and we touched on this a little bit, but what what how do you think is the best way to play the uh, the Bears backfield now that uh, uh I guess uh, Herbert he uh, he ha- he had the injury and then I've seen some kind of news where like he could come back but he's going to struggle to get to one hundred percent for the rest of the year. Yeah, I. I mentioned in a previous show uh, when we talked about high ankle sprains and kind of the mechanics of the injury and what it means for a running back or a player's fantasy production, like, dude, a high ankle sprain is just a shitty injury. Like, I I wish that was not a possible thing to happen to a human because that just sucks, man. Like, I'm I'm very sad for Khalil Herbert. I, I think he's a really good player, and I was excited to see, like, maybe if the Bears could get it together and he had some positive game scripts. Uh, to do some work in like that's the kind of guy where you, you know what we we all want like Jalen Warren we we all talked about Jalen Warren all off season it's like oh he could be like a Tony Pollard kind of back like while Khalil Herbert's not terribly involved in the passing game and to be fair Tony Pollard hasn't been as involved in the passing game this season either he's he's like explosive and efficient like Tony Pollard is um, so like I I could have totally seen Herbert being a diet Tony Pollard. But to talk about guys that we actually can play going forward, because I, I think for Herbert, you're basically the way I'm treating Herbert in like a season long format is I need to see it first before I'm going to, you know, if you got a better option, I need to see it from Herbert first before I'm going to go back to the well on him. Um, I would prefer to have Roshan. I believe that Roshan's going to be the guy where through the course of the season, the team seems to like Roshan a lot. I mean, Number one, he's been active. Uh, Foreman right. has been healthy and active. And, and I know a big part of that was that Deontay Foreman doesn't play special teams. I think Deontay's a fine back. He's like a totally replacement level back that can go in and, and do the work. And he's a big guy. He can carry a load. So I bet you, especially if, say, Roshan misses this week because he's not all the way back from the concussion – I mean, shoot, you, you could get a very good week out of Deonta Foreman this week. And, yeah. and you probably can get some solid usable weeks from him going forward. But the guy I want to bet on is the guy with the wider range of outcomes in Roshan and the guy that seems like a much more competent piece in the passing game where early in the season we did see flashes that they were not only willing to use him in the passing game, but they were, they, they gave him a lot of targets in that. I mean, it was a lot of garbage time stuff, but I, I think it was enough for me to feel like, yeah, Roshan could get used a lot in the passing game and get those high value touches. And he's, he's also got the profile to be like a, between the tackles, like carry the load full three down kind of workhorse guy. So that's what I want. Um, But I, I think both are good ways to play it, but I would have a lean towards Roshan. Yeah, yeah. Um, your uh, your your argument made me feel like okay, like so. I know like the fantasy. A lot of the the commentary that I've seen is like you know, like you just want to take shots on either. But the fact it is interesting that Roshan was already active, which is sort of like a decent sign that they uh, they like him more, and than uh, than Dante Foreman, that like. That does make me think. Okay, you know, there, 
we sh there should be a separation in, in our expectations for the two. Like our going in expectation should be for them to favor Roshan. And um, whereas like not not kind of default to like, oh, it's just going to be 50-50. Dante Foreman, he always comes in and does a great job. Like it, it does feel a little bit like uh, you have pathways to Roshan just winning, just winning over a big role. And, and, and that's something to be quite excited about. Yeah, I mean, and especially with even like fast forward to when Khalil Herbert's fully healthy and back in action, like there's a, a good chance that Roshan could have done enough. You know, if he's if he's good and he's playing well, like it could be a thing where, well, hey, now it's Roshan and Khalil Herbert are just going to split the work 1A, 1B, and Roshan gets right. all the passing stuff because we know that they don't like Khalil Herbert in the passing game. And he, I, I think he himself has said like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I need to get better at that. Like that's not my strong suit. So, yeah, I, I definitely prefer Roshan there. Um, were there any other injury scenarios that we needed to go over? No, no, I, I feel like we covered uh, we covered the Cardinals pretty well. Uh, was happy was we we went over that we kind of gave us that so happy with that and uh, I, I I think we're ready to move on to uh to tight ends okay let's let's hit the tight ends here oh getting away with myself um so we, this is a tight end utilization and efficiency chart where uh essentially we're looking at what percentage of team dropbacks that they're running a route and then um just because it, it is useful to see when are how, how often are you on the field for these routes? Uh, we have pass blocking in here too, and so uh, you can kind of see Dallas Goddard uh, by far the highest, or, or maybe no, no, that's not the right way to put it. Uh, he is uh, he is at the highest, and so that that's kind of like the you know he's on the field, you know he's he's running a route for the most amount of passes, and then. Um, we don't want to focus just solely on uh, on if you're running a route. We want you to get targeted too, because, like for example, Mark Andrews, uh, his routes look a lot different to Tyler Higby, uh, because he's getting targeted 21% of his routes, whereas Tyler Higby is just 13%. Uh, and then just because we prefer down the field targets, we've also got a dot. For example. Um, George Kittle targeted 8.4 yards down the field on average is a lot better than Kate Otten's 4.1. Um, anybody, anybody here stick out as surprising to you or, or, or sort of like priority targets? Well, we've got a, we've got a new member of the class. Uh, this week. Oh, I should also say this one is also throws out week one. That's a rolling four week. Yep, just just like the running back one, because uh, usage is is very important here. But we we've got a new addition to this chart, and it's my boy Jake Ferguson with his twenty five percent targets per route run, a little piddly four point nine eight dot. But uh, man, if you're watching the Cowboys games, he they sure do like involving him. Um, I mean, there there wasn't much to take away from the Forty ers game other than the Cowboys got absolutely curb stomped, but he he definitely looks viable. I mean, shoot, like there's really not very many other tight ends with targets per route run that high that you can get. 
I, I do think you're going to see his snaps go up a little bit. He is not going to climb this chart, though, to get to be he, – he's never going to be, like, the getting 80% of snaps or 90% of snaps kind of guy. Uh, they are already showing us that they want to involve their rookie second-round tight end uh, who, for whatever reason – like are Dutch last names just impossible for announcers to pronounce? Like it's Luke Schoonmacher. Like it's not Schoonmaker. Can we, can we stop calling the dude Schoonmaker? Jesus. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, so I think just on, on your Ferguson point, if we, if we look just at the last two weeks, for example, he's been, uh, he's been on the field for 76% or 75% of dropbacks with a route uh, running at 70%. Yeah, and that's that's more in line with what I'm expecting for him for kind of the hold going forward. I, I think that you will see more usage from Schoonmacher, but uh, he, he's Ferguson's going to be that number one guy. I do think he's going to be able to keep up the, his, his targets per route runner. It's not an aberration. Like this has been happening long enough. Like. He's that little safety blanket, you know, that's, that's what they're using him as. And so in full PBR, he's fantastic. Uh, you know, fringe, fringe tight end one, really what you're excited for is the Cowboys haven't scored a ton of offensive touchdowns and they do really like to involve their tight ends at the goal line. And I, I definitely am interested in when they get some, more favorable game scripts and situations. I think that offense in general is going to have to, they will be forced to perform better out of necessity because their defense just got decimated by injury. Like at the end of the 49ers game, they literally didn't have a fourth defensive, a fourth corner to go out onto the field. They had three corners that were healthy and able to go. So like, I, I think that they're hurting in the secondary now and they're, they're probably going to get scored on and, and that defense is going to look less threatening than it did early. So I think that's bullish for Jake Ferguson because the offense will actually have to finally score some points. Uh, but it remains to be seen if they can. Yeah. Makes that uh, makes sense. And uh, looks interesting to me that Zach Ertz is, like a state up here, some of the players that like have been surprising, like Logan Thomas is like, even though his uh his points and, and overall targets have seemed to have been good, is is falling down a bit in terms of like the roots. Um, trying to f- figure out like a, a lot of part the, of part of the Logan Thomas falling is we've got one game less where he ran all the routes and we've got one game in there where he got his head damn near taken off um, and true. left the game. That's true. So just since week four, he's been at 78%. So yeah, you're right. You're right. He, uh, I, I do. I do like him as a, he's, I, I think uh, between him and Jake Ferguson, you're getting guys that are, they're getting there in slightly different ways. Um, but I, I think they're both interesting and kind of in like the same tier of tight end. I would assume, uh, you know, Logan Thomas has a higher A dot, but he's getting uh, lower targets per route run. I would assume they probably are similar price. Do you know what their resurrection price is? Um, this is Logan Thomas and Zach Ertz. Uh, so oh, I, I, sorry, I was saying Logan Thomas and Jake Ferguson. I would, I mean, Zach Ertz. Uh, uh, so Logan Thomas, one thirty nine. 
and Ferguson I look is one oh four yeah one oh four. So, so really good good buying opportunity for Logan Thomas then in my opinion. Um that that one stands out to me. Makes sense for sure, uh, where you're getting him at the end of the 12th round. So definitely, definitely getting a, a t- sort of a decent tight end there in the 12th round, which is, is tough to do, uh, especially when uh, we've had so many cards flipped over at this stage of the game. So definitely uh, probably a pretty strong um, streaming target or, or like pickup. If you've uh, if you haven't gotten a league tight end, or um, or if you get an injury or something like that, and and you see him on the waiver wire, definitely a priority target there. Um, the other one I see here that's a little bit interesting is Irv Smith, um, who is right uh he's he's right around um. Where's He's right around, like what, just under, under eighty percent. So that I, I think that is a little bit interesting. The target's not there, the A dot isn't great, but a little bit interesting. It's it's concerning that the targets aren't there because there is nobody on that offense outside of Jamar Chase. So like if he had any target earning capability, he would be getting targets already. <laughs> so for me, and I, man, I want Irv Smith to happen. I was, I was super excited about Irv Smith early in his career when he was on the Vikings. Like I is all about Irv, but uh, I, I think this is pretty good signal that Irv Smith is not happening. Like he, he can't, Tyler Boyd doesn't look great. Like he he's getting, you know, who we've got Trent Taylor out there. Like he's not earning targets over those guys. Like it doesn't, doesn't seem terribly promising. Um, and also in an offense that's still outside of the Jamar chase going absolutely nuclear against the Cardinals. Like I'm not totally convinced that the Bengals are back, you know? So Irv, Irv Smith for me personally, less interesting, but I, yeah, I do need right, to get your right. I need to get your alpha on the Adam Troutman, Greg Dulcich situation. I alluded to this earlier. For uh for those of you that are with us that did not follow Dricko's uh insider intel this offseason, he gave us the information that Adam Troutman was in fact the Broncos starting tight end months before the season. He let us know that Dulcich was not, in fact, the guy. He saved me lots of money uh, that would have gone. I saved so much money myself from that. I was so (laughs) excited about uh, Dulcich. And, uh, yeah, know somebody who knows somebody, and they were like, yeah, Adam Travis is a starter. And, oh, okay. So, I I feel – it sounds like you're going to ask me, so Dulcich coming back, what's what's the outlook here? And – I think his outlook is is really just going to be like sort of like a occasional uh, tight end too. So he probably well he'll probably get more snaps than than most tight end twos. But you're probably looking at fifty percent route share, maybe sixty percent ish on a good week, and um more harms the uh, the slot receiver role for the Broncos than anything else. 
and that and and, and that's that's sort of like what I'm expecting. So how how do you use that? I'm not sure. I, I it, it makes me a little bit concerned for Marvin Mims that like okay, like they're putting these dust balls on the field ahead of him, and now they have somebody who like they actually like playing, and that 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 kind of hurts his ability to get on the field more. But I don't know if that's like if that's that useful for uh, for fantasy. I, I, don't know. I, I, I do think it's useful. It's useful in the fact that we know that it's really, we, we talked about this earlier with respect to Russ. It's hard. Like just like how Pat Mahomes is really kind of hard to play in DFS because it's like, well, I, I basically have to play Mahomes with Kelsey. I can't use any of the wide receivers. Cause it's just too, like I'm just drawing too thin to actually pick the right one in a given week. And like, I got a limited number of entry. You know, if, if I was allowed to have 10,000 entries, sure there would be an optimal frequency to roll out Mahomes with random wide receivers, you know, but I think you're going to see that with Wilson this season too, unless you get a significant shift in how the Broncos are operating their offense right now, you're not, you're, you're not going to be able to kind of dial in who in that passing game is the guy that you want. And so how I would play it in best ball going forward for resurrection is unless I'm getting a significant discount on Broncos uh, passing game options, I'm really not taking them. I'm pretty much only taking them when I'm stacking them with Russell Wilson. I think when you have an offense like this, where it's just so hard to pin down who's going to be the guy scoring you points regularly, you really just only want to be doing that when it's correlated. Uh, So I think that's how you apply that uh, the Adam Troutman inside info right. you're able to give us. So maybe, uh, uh, maybe he's like Trout. Uh, Tr- uh, sorry, not Troutman. Maybe Troutman and, and Dulcich. It when they're stone minimum, maybe that they, they are viable plays as, as stacks. But uh, you you really you really want to put it, especially in, as you're t- thinking about something like DFS. <laughs> you can probably you probably do want to play some pretty. Uh, strong slash chalky plays around them yeah that's a that's a great call um just with the the qb tight end correlation being so strong and so much based on you know touchdown scoring that's that's probably uh i i'm also mad at you for that because now i know <laughs> there's there's going to be a week where i light some money on fire playing russell wilson with a stupid tight end stack and i'm going to be looking at my phone at like one o'clock on a sunday afternoon I'm like well there goes all those lineups, all those Russell Wilson tight end <laughs> stack lineups. Damn it, Draco. The the, uh, the in the the info, the alpha, it give it and I take it away. <laughs> yeah, it saved my best ball bags, but it's I'm gonna light some DFS money on fire. <laughs> I already know. So let's uh, let's move on um, to to the backup section of the chart. And there's, there's two. There's there's literally two here. I'm gonna save us some time. Um, there's two guys worth talking about here. Okay. One of them uh, is Michael Meyer, Michael yeah, Mayer, um, because he he started to get some usage, and uh, it was like downfield targets. And holy cow, surprise! The guy who is heralded as like the best tight end in the class looks really good at playing tight end. Like who could have guessed? He he looks he looks good, man. Um, I and so forty one percent Rucher last week 
18% targets per route run, and then 2.3 yeah yards per route run. So like that's a, that's more than signs of life. That's like oh they involve him, and like you said he's good. Like this this is this is a, about as positive a week you, you could have gotten given the first that couple. My the way I want to apply this information going forward is I still think it might take a while for us to get there with Mayor. In best ball, though, in resurrection prior to this week, I would not have drafted Michael Mayer, right? I was I was getting right. enough signal okay. from the Raiders. I was like, dude, this guy's not ever going to be usable this season. Maybe one week, you know. Um, but now this was enough signs of life where I'm like, okay. I could see this being kind of a slow burn over the course of the season where he's earning more and more playing time in an offense where it's really concentrated. And so if he works his way into that offense where it's, hey, we pass to three guys and three guys only. It's Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, and Michael Mayer. And those are the guys that receive passes. Then I'm right. all of a sudden very interested. So he's he's back to life for me uh, in a resurrection draft. Uh, you know, in the weird instances where the Raiders make the playoffs, I, I could maybe, uh, no, I'm never, I'm literally never taking him as like a late round uh, playoff best ball dart throw. Cause I, I'm literally only doing not, that. If not I think right the Raiders now. are doing the Super Bowl, you know, but uh, yeah. Anyway, though, Michael Mayer uh, back to life. Definitely worth talking about. The other one is Noah Gray uh, just because of the Travis Kelsey injury. Kelsey came back into the game. I'm sure he got all of the best painkillers uh, to be able to do that. Cause that ankle sprain, dude, it looked like that shit hurt the way, the way he went down and like every, everyone who's ever sprained their ankle bad, dude, everyone who's sprained their ankle bad before knows like, Oh my gosh, that one sucked. Like you, you know, I mean, with how frustrated he was on the sideline, like, yeah, that one hurt. Um, and, and you hear guys talk about like, Oh yeah. With the adrenaline and the painkillers, like, you're able to come back one week, but a lot of the times the next week, like it's a, it's a lot harder to go. So it's a short week. We'll, we'll find out tomorrow. Uh, it sounds like he's trending towards playing. He's practicing. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more Noah Gray and I would just kind of keep an eye on Noah Gray um, in the event that, you know, Kelsey re-aggravates the ankle or something. Noah Gray becomes very interesting. So that was those are the two on my radar. Is there anyone else that you wanted to talk about or any anything to add on Noah Gray? Um the only the only I guess uh worry that I would have is that when Kelsey was out week one, it did seem like so I, I was watching I remember watching the week one game in Vegas, and every time a white tight end for the Chiefs caught the ball, I just assumed that it was Noah Gray. And then I looked at the, uh, I looked at the, the 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 box score, and and there was the other guy. It was like almost like split. Even though Noah Gray was running the routes, the other guy was like getting almost half the targets. I I I'm I'm drawing a blank on uh, on that other guy's name. Uh, Blake Bell. Blake Bell. Blake Bell. Seem to be getting a, a decent amount, so my, I guess my concern would be that even at, even if Kelsey goes down, that uh, maybe it's harder for uh, Gray to sort of like consolidate uh, the targets even with Kelsey down. 
But again, it's tight end. So it's not like you need Kelsey usage to uh, to pay off. Like could still be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, it was worth mentioning with the Kelsey injury, but that is a good yeah. point. It's not a it's not a guaranteed sure thing that Noah Gray is gonna be, you know, he's certainly not gonna be Travis Kelsey, but he could he could be somewhat usable. But yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, let's uh like you alluded to, let's let's move on to uh the wide receiver section. And Looks like we have uh, we we have pretty clearly like the, the the halves part of the chart, and then like a big cluster in the middle, and uh, we have the uh, we have the the what you call it the cardio route runners. So and I guess I'll explain this chart again. So we've got weighted targets per route run, and this is sort of like just targets per route run, but weighted towards down the field throws, and so guys who get a high percentage of targets and down the field are, are, are on the right side. And then guys who either don't get targeted enough or their targets are too close to the line of scrimmage down to the left. And then just because we do want fantasy points and uh, we have that on the, uh, on the, the vertical axis. And then the color of the dot also corresponds to their route share. Uh, when I when I put this chart together, there's a couple things that I look at. It's you know, first first thing. Usually, there's not a ton of guys in this top left quadrant, but these are the regression candidates, right? Guys scoring yeah. a lot of fantasy points on you know low 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 weighted targets per route run, and so here we've got Adam Thielen and Gabe Davis living here. Gabe Davis makes a ton of sense. We saw you know he, he's just getting there on. It's hey, he gets a couple deep targets every once in a while, or like an end zone target here and there. Um, and this this week it was funny. He got a uh, a pass interference call, or a, not a pass. He got an offensive penalty that called called back a touchdown. And then on the very next play, he got the touchdown anyway. But I, I would expect, you know, if this is a good week for Gabe Davis, I would expect him to probably uh, come in with a little bit lower fantasy points per game. Adam Thielen, I think, is like such a clear sell high candidate. Uh, number one, because there's just no chance that this guy is going to keep scoring touchdowns. You know, like he's just getting these garbage time touchdowns and like all of just an insane amount of targets. I right right now we're seeing like the right tail outcomes for Adam Thielen, and when you get an actual like mean outcome for Adam Thielen, which is like, what do you think? Seven targets for five receptions and 58 yards, no touchdown. Like you're not pleased, you know? And so if you can trick anyone into buying your Adam Thielen lemons, you should be offloading them. Uh, but that was, that was uh, in the regression category. Any, any guys to add in that category for you? Um. So who else is there? Um, you know, I think, honestly, I think at this stage, that's probably the strongest sort of like regression shout, I think. Um, it is, I mean, it is interesting seeing Adam Thielen play well. Like, he's obviously not, um, he's not getting targets that are like really down the field. 
um, but his um his yards for reception are not awful. They're like around he's getting around ten yards for reception despite um his A dot being around let's say uh, seven. So it's like it's it, it's a bit interesting that he's like he's playing good at on field football. And then I, I do remember <laughs> When he was younger, it felt like every week he can't score this many touchdowns every week, and then Adam Thielen scores another touchdown, and so I mean, there's part of me that's sort of like, especially at the price that you were getting before, that maybe uh, was too quick to to bury him, like that uh, maybe uh, he he clearly does have some life left in him, and uh, where he's like somewhat a viable best ball player. Um, but at the same time, like you said, you're, you're clearly getting the the best Adam Thielen games you can. And like, as an older player, like the weeks one through five, those are going to, those are almost always going to be the best weeks for a player like that. Like you're the chances that you get this kind of play from him down the playoff stretch, really 10, really 10. And and that was always my point with Adam Thielen. I, I have very little to know Adam Thielen. I might have a full fade on him in uh, BBM and the you know traditional format season long type tournaments because I don't care about your week one through four points. I don't. He's going in the sixth round. Yeah, that's I'm I'm fully out. But you know where I did draft Adam Thielen? I drafted him in some weekly winners teams because I was like, you know what? I've got a team that's really well constructed for week six. Uh, let's let's throw a little Adam Thielen on there. Got a, got a team where I've got a bunch of bringbacks for week three. Let's throw an Adam Thielen share in there. Why not? Because then I can't. Your your production does matter. That is all the money is in this week now. So I can use Adam Thielen. So that's kind of my my stance on it. And if Adam Thielen does this the whole season, and it's the fantasy playoffs, and I just get buried by having no Adam Thielen. Me a culpa, you know. Hey, uh, that one's on me. Right. Like, I I shouldn't have, shouldn't have read him off, but uh, I I'm not feeling as uh, as scared as I, I. If you had told me, you know, hey, by you know week five, Adam Thielen is going to have you know multiple thirty point games, I I would feel like I'd probably be pretty scared of that. But honestly, I'm not. I, I just feel like it's not that sustainable. The other guy to transition into another one who's like borderline regression candidate is just DJ Moore. And it's not to say that DJ Moore is going to be bad, but it's to say that the amount of fantasy points per game DJ Moore has been scoring is a lot relative to his weighted targets per route run. I would expect him to be more, you know, you know what makes a ton of sense to me is like DJ Moore as like, a Debo Samuel ish kind of player and that he's doing so much, you know, yards after catch and DJ Moore, I think is a better wide receiver than Debo, but they're both awesome football players. They're both of those guys are just absolute beasts, like can really make their hay after the catch. And so I think they're kind of a similar ish archetype. I, I do think DJ Moore has probably got the slight edge in receiving, but maybe Maybe Dio offsets that with his work that he gets in the running game. And so I would expect those players to come in 
a little closer to each other on the chart. So that's a that's a regression candidate. Again, not saying DJ Moore is going to be bad, but just saying like that, that's a guy that's kind of looking like a potential outlier. The other guy that I think it, they're they're in a similar weighted targets per route run category, but it looks like a guy that could be ascending is Zay Flowers. We saw there's there's a couple reasons I feel like Zay Flowers is really interesting. Number one, all of the other Ravens, I mean, Zay Flowers included, all of the Ravens pass catchers decided that they totally forgot how to catch a football. And so it's like the the opportunity is there for the taking. It's whoever whoever emerges as like a reliable weapon could really consolidate some stuff there. And Zay finally saw some deeper targets. He actually got some decent air yards on a, was it a 11 target day, a 13? He, he got a substantial number of targets this week. Pretty interested in Zay Flowers. Could see him. He, he looks like the classic rookie profile where his production is going to increase as the season goes on. Really, really excited about Zay Flowers. He looks like he could be a big hit. Um. Yeah, Zay Flowers, uh, definitely, definitely agree there. Um, I, I think what might help him a bit too is uh, is all the drops that you had from the other receivers. Whereas maybe, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe if he uh, if he's able to sort of like continue to play well and and like become a trusted receiver, like. The, you definitely have strong paths here where it's it's like as as he develops and he is and he emerges that like okay that we have to we have to run our passing offense through um, Mark Andrews and Zay Flowers like we just have to do it um that and, and, and I think I think that makes a, a lot of sense um do you? I, I guess my my question there is: Are 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 you um leaving um Bateman for dead? Uh, I don't want to. I think he's a good player. That that drop was so egregious, so and it really kind of seems like the Ravens don't think he's a good player. <laughs> um, right. I I don't know, man. I I gotta say, there's still a little bit there. There's probably bag defending, but there's a little bit in my brain where I'm just like, he had like no time with this offense in the off season. It's a new system. Like, and, and really like Bateman hasn't played a ton of actual NFL games. You know, he's been injured so much. So there's, there's a little bit of me that's trying to like rationalize it or justify it. It's like, maybe we get that kind of typical rookie production you know, change over the course of the season that you, you see with rookies where their production is going to increase as the season goes on. Maybe we see that with Bateman. That's really my only hope for Bateman. But uh, man, it, it looks pretty bleak. The the I guess the other best thing you could say for him is just like we talked about, tons of drops. No one's really like established themselves as the dominant option. Although Zay Flowers looks like he's already got you know, he's got a head start on the other receiving options there. If, if you had to, yeah. if I had to put money on it, I'd say it ends up being a, a pretty uh, concentrated passing tree where it's Andrews, Flowers, and then whatever Aguilar, Bateman, OBJ, like mix in for every week is purely unusable in fantasy. It's just, it's only there to annoy you as a Zay Flowers or Mark Andrews owner. So, 
Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, makes sense for sure. And I, I think that that is that is a tough one to uh, to talk about as well, um, just because it's clearly like it's clearly an offense where like when things click, like there, there's going to be fireworks for sure, um, just because it's it's got Lamar Jackson and they're trying to pass more, but when when you I guess when you haven't had um, the points from really any one option, um. It, it's super hard to like be like confident, but definitely agree. Firing away the Zay Flowers is is, is like sort of like the, easily the best bet to uh, to be the, the sort of like emergence. And so he's picked sixty one in a resurrection. I feel like he, there, there's a lot of ways for you to get paid off. Like, and I want to say paid off, not just like perform ADP. Like, there's a, a lot of ways for that to be. Uh, for Zay Flowers to be like a, a, just a total complete slam dunk smash at that pick. Yeah, six. I, I was hoping you would say later because I want to be able to just like, be like, okay, cool. It's 100% Zay Flowers. That's the way to play it. So, I mean, pick 61 is still a good price. Like, you, you probably get a lot of wins in there. Um, but I was, I was hoping you were going to say something like 70, but that's. I mean, dude, what's the difference between sixty-one and seventy? Like, I'm just—it's <laughs> just the—it's the value hound in me. Um, I, I had a couple guys that I want to—I want to like rapid fire here, where it wasn't like a huge change, but more just like confirming a trend or something. so. So, uh, Puka with Cooper cutback, we got enough information that Puka is going to be still heavily involved in the offense. For people that got Puka on waivers, for people that drafted Puka, looking like an enormous win. It, it's just like that's the Robert Woods role in this offense and it's, it's going to be here to stay. So great, great news for Puka. Uh, I, I know that uh, there were some people that were thinking that this week you might start to see him lose a lot of work with cut back, but it just looks like it's, it's the clear one and two and then two, two mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about later. He shows up on the later charts, but so Puka was, was one I wanted to hit on. Uh, the other one, Jacoby Myers, uh, just, we, we talked about it briefly, the Raiders offense, so, so concentrated Jacoby looks like a smash where he was going all summer in best ball. Fantastic pick. Uh, just, yeah, when this, this reminds me of the, uh, when you had the Vikings with, uh, Steph Diggs and Adam Thielen, where it was like, there are two players that catch passes on this NFL football team. And these are them like, that's it here for the Raiders. It's Devonte Adams. It's Jacoby Myers, and uh, man, that's that's super appealing. You love when an offense gets that concentrated. It just gets so easy to play it that way. So that would that would be one where I bet you bet you Jimmy G's probably. I mean, Jimmy G doesn't look great, but for for best ball, um, just with the prices of quarterbacks and I, I mean. I, I don't know about you. When I'm looking at a lot of my basketball teams, some of my best teams are the full punt QB teams where I've just got certified studs everywhere but QB. And I'm getting right. 17 to 20 points from Jimmy G and, you know, Sam right. Owl gives me a spike week here and there. So I, I'm assuming Jimmy G still goes really late in resurrection. And let me, let me tell you. Um, I do think it's interesting where, uh, so Jimmy G goes a pick one ninety two. Oh yeah, baby, load it up. Load if you're if you're drafting resurrection. I'm assuming where where's Jacoby at now? It's 
Got to be and, in the fifties. So he's still at eighty-one. Oh my god! If you're drafting Resurrection and you don't have a hundred percent Jacoby Myers and Jimmy G, you're playing the game wrong. Like I, normally, I'm not gonna be a hundred percent of a guy thing, but like the market is not doing that correctly. It's it's so concentrated. It's so good for best ball when you get something like this. Like literally, literally Devonte Adams is still pick thirteen. So if you're listening to this right now, fire up as many Resurrection drafts as you can. Queue up the Raiders players and just make sure you don't auto draft them too early and just load it up, baby. Like pack the bags, fill them all the way to the brim. That's ah, that's gonna make me draft resurrection teams. Uh, literally, when we finish the show, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna get in bed and fire up like 20 resurrection drafts and just multi table it and do 20 Raiders stacks. So normally, when you when when we're uh, saying goodbye after after the show, you tell me I'm gonna make some dinner, so you're gonna be. Eating up some uh, some Raider sucks. Yeah, we're we're literally skipping dinner to draft Raiders. <laughs> um, probably uh, not too interested in Josh. Are are you interested in Josh Jacobs at pick twenty five? I know oh, we covered it runway. It's it's one where knowing the price of the rest of the offense, I want that in my team stack. I think running backs and team stacks are very valuable. And so the way that I will play it is the majority of my Raiders stacks wouldn't have Josh Jacobs, but the the stacks where Josh Jacobs falls past ADP significantly, 25, ugh, gross. So there's probably... Well, just, to, just to think through it a bit, if uh, Adams is at the end of the first slash start of the second, then yeah. you, you, the only way you would get him is Huge if smaller. he fell to the end of the third. So that's and you would be interested there. Yeah, then then I would do it. Um, yeah. So so that's yeah. a pretty natural, clean. Like he's not going to be in most of them, but maybe some. Yeah, I I love I love when the game gives you that kind of like governor on your frequencies <laughs> to do things. Um, yeah, that's so I a, do think that's appealing. I do think uh, we've had uh, we've had some uh, some people that are pretty upset. To see Dotson in the bottom part of the chart, um, I think I think we have we have actually covered the uh, the commander situation in previous weeks, but just maybe to briefly touch on it. And um, so his uh, well one uh, one problem for uh, for Dotson on this chart is that his a dot is not the uh, it's not the highest. And uh, so let me just. His average depth of target has been at ten, the highest it's been is 10.3. And he's had some weeks with eight, seven point three, and then ten and ten. So he hasn't really been targeted down the field. And then his uh, target per run, the base number hasn't been too great either. So it's been 18%, 10%, 11%, 21%, 9%. So sort of averaging out at 14% targets per run. And it does feel like the uh, the commanders are they spread the ball out too much, and, and I know that sort of like sharp people have called out for. Um, listen, it's Dotson. He needs to, like he's one of your best players. Him and Terry McCarron, they they need to get the ball more. And um, but I guess th- this chart is just telling us that it, it it hasn't been like that, and super disappointing. Just especially with. 
like his late surge in ADP, like definitely really disappointing. And let me uh, let me check out Dotson's uh, ADP. So he's now at the end of the tenth round. So so pretty close to Logan Thomas. And I was gonna say, I like just straight up, I think I prefer Logan Thomas for the tight end eligibility. I don't think they're super different in what they get in this offense. And so give me the guy with tight end eligibility. Right. They're clearly prioritizing Logan Thomas over Dotson. Super disappointing. But uh, and I think what's also interesting is in the context of like, he wasn't, a, Dotson wasn't a phenomenal prospect either. Where like he uh, he was sort of behind um, who's the who's the Broncos slot receiver the fast uh, slot receiver that we used to be excited about KJ Hamler oh KJ behind KJ Hamler in Penn State and like didn't really do too much and then when K- uh, KJ Hamler graduated Danny had a, a big fourth year our, our senior year when he was kind of like a little bit older and so like that's that's not uh, like obviously, and uh, prospect profile isn't everything, but maybe in the context of like, you know, he hasn't that uh, he hasn't been the best here. That um that is sort of like getting pretty concerning here. That in his second year, he's not uh, he's not commanding targets. Yeah, I I'm more in the camp of saying that this is. The, the new normal for Dotson. It's not, yeah, I, I'm not terribly optimistic for Dotson. Um, the last one I wanted to hit on, on this chart was just Michael Pittman with the Anthony Richardson injury, his situation changing with Gardner Minshew at quarterback. I do think we're going to see more passing volume just simply because there's less plays where they're going to be QB rushes. Uh, so I, I think Pittman I'm not not entirely sure if he ends up, you know, moving farther down the chart on the weighted targets per route run, but I do think you're going to get those targets to him slightly higher quality, right? I think it's fair to say that yeah. Minshew is going to be more accurate than Anthony Richardson from what we've seen from both of them. So I would expect that Pittman probably moves up a little bit uh, as far as efficiency and his fantasy points per game. So. That's one where uh, he he's looking. Honestly, I remember during draft season, drafting Michael Pittman always felt like a god. I I had to click Michael Pittman because I I was going to get buried at wide receiver if I didn't, and I it feel really yucky. I didn't want to do it. Um, but he's he's looking like he was pretty appropriately priced. He might have even been a little underpriced in the market. Um, so that's that's looking like a W for all the Michael Pittman drafters out there. Right now he's at he's middle of the fifth, okay, which feels pretty not 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 at not something that you can really take advantage of. No, I mean I'm not certainly not hitting him as hard as I'm hitting Jacoby Myers later tonight. <laughs> right. So yeah, um, let's uh, let's move on to this sort of like the in betweener chart, and this one where you've got guys who's seventy to eighty five percent routes run. So same chart. But just um, players where they're not quite every down starters, but they are like you—you you, you see a bunch of pretty clear-cut fantasy starters here, um, and 
I, I guess it, it's sort of interesting. The, 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 the thing that I noticed right away is that Terry McCorn is also in this uh, this part of the chart where uh, he's all he's he's sort of like in the regression part where he hasn't just been hasn't been getting the the, the targets, but he's just a little bit over ten points a game, and probably some of that probably some of that is like he's uh, he's in the, the top bucket in, in root share but it, it, it does call in, it does call in the question like what what really are the commanders doing uh, when they're not using their wide receivers that much yeah I want to I want to look at McLaurin I'm pulling him up here in the PFF data um, oh. I want to say that part of it was in his uh, in his weeks the earlier weeks where he's coming back from the injury. Um, he right. Was- yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good call out. So his targets per out run started off as 12% week one, 17% week two and week three and four, 20 and 23%. And then last week, 10%. So I guess if you're using a rolling tree week, 18% uh, is his normal, not weighted targets per out run. Um, so still not not really concentrated, and so that that it is making me think that this is sort of, sort of feel like an offense where it's hard to hard to be interested. So so might be so if we're kind of thinking through like the offenses where they're less desirable, uh, you know the, we touched on the Giants, talked about the Commanders, talked about the Broncos passing game. Do you say it's fair to kind of categorize those three together as e- even though the quarterbacks, you know, especially at their price, like, you know, Sam, Sam Howell has delivered you a good spike week and that's really all, yeah. you, all you could ask for, for a guy at that, the price that he was going at. And, you know, Russ has been fine, especially for his price, but it's, it's really just those, the other weapons, the skill position players, I guess really in the receiving game. Cause, cause like Brian Robinson has been good. You know, and the Broncos running backs have been fine as a group for as an individual. It's been a little thin. Um, the Giants haven't been good anywhere, but I, I you think right. it's a good good categorization of love. Yeah, all three yeah. Of those together. I, I mean, obviously, the, the uh, commanders and Broncos have had better offensive success, but just very like it's not concentrating on, on anyone. So that makes it hard to like really truly uh, recommend um, any of these players for sure. I didn't, I didn't have a ton more on this chart. Uh, I guess Josh Downs kind of the same discussion that we had about Michael Pittman interested in him potentially um, seeing more targets with Minshew, seeing higher quality targets. I think he's good. He's like actually good. So that's one that I'm interested in. I'm going to rapid fire a couple guys. Uh, Michael Wilson had a comeback down to earth game, just like one target, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but you know what? The the Michael Wilson thesis of, hey, this is my random bring back guy for week 17 against the Eagles. And it's a rookie receiver that and the Cardinals, you know, probably will will at least give him some run by then. The thesis looks clearly correct. Whether you get the result that you need in week 17, that's up to the gods of randomness. But, um, you know, good good analysis for the people that were saying Michael Wilson, you know, just because just he got one target this week doesn't mean anything. It's, hey, 
we saw the kind of game that he can deliver with the two touchdowns and lots of catches. That's all you really needed from the guy. So whatever, probably not super startable and like season long fantasy, but definitely someone where if he was your last round best ball pick, you could have done worse. Right. Right. And it, it does feel like every, every year, um, you, people, people talk about like, Hey, there's so much opportunity here. Like I, I want to be here. I, 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 this is something where it has to be somebody and I, I'm going to do it with this guy. Um, and it does feel like we get those kind of hits every year, but it's, it's also, it's easy to forget. I, it's happened more frequently this year and uh, where those guys hit, but we also get a lot of those guys where, uh, it, it just didn't work at all. Like the Brashad Perriman pick where like, Oh, there's opportunity here. And, and he's just going to fall into it. And, and they get cut or it doesn't work or like uh, Van Jefferson is another example of where people would have been drafting him highly because of the Cooper Cup injury. And now he's uh, now he plays for the Falcons. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, 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 I'm with you where a lot, it, it's, it is hard to like find a take here where uh, we haven't discussed it already. Yeah, I think we're good to move on to the last chart because there were a couple guys on this last one okay. that I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah, you go ahead. So Christian Watson uh, got, I mean, his his weighted targets for route run was really high, especially for a guy seeing the, uh, the amount of routes that he is. So I, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about Christian Watson. I feel like in that offense, like it's clear that someone has to do something because, you know, right now this whole thing of none of them do anything like we saw on, uh, on Monday, like that's not going to work. Um, so someone's got to step up and do something whether it's going to be one of the receivers or whether it really requires Aaron Jones coming back, I think is yet to be seen from watching the game really like all that Watson got was a deep target. And like, yeah, that's what you want. And and it should have been a touchdown. It was a horse collar tackle. Honestly, it's kind of bullshit that like, I, I feel like there, there are plays like that where it's like, dude, that's a touchdown. Like you can't just foul a guy and have it not be a touchdown now. Like, well, that's, I don't know. that's what they coach to do. Yeah. Oh, I for sure. I, I, yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I think the players are playing that optimally. It's just the rule is yeah. stupid. Like that if, if you're telling me that what I should do is potentially maim this man by horse collaring him, <laughs> and that is the optimal way to play to win this game. Fuck your rules. Those are some stupid rules. Like, uh, I mean, shoot, if I was a player be in that situation, I'm maiming away, baby. <laughs> let me, right. let me maim him because otherwise it's a touchdown. Um, so he should have had a, a huge splash touchdown play. To me, what you're looking at with Christian Watson is he needs to deliver games like that with those splash touchdown plays at a high enough frequency to pay off his fourth round cost. I don't think that's going to happen is my early read on it. Just from seeing – I – I'm, I'm going to get ready to um, heat myself up a big helping of crow here for, for when this, when he just jams it down my throat, but I don't think he's that good. I, I think he's uh you know, I, I watched a guy 
just like him in the XFL this season. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't think he's anything but Martavis Bryant. Like, if you watch the last play of the game where a good player wins the game for Green Bay because he goes and makes a contested catch on an underthrown ball and just alphas that shit away from the defender, spikes the ball and walks off with a dub. Like, Christian Watson just, like, looked like a little boy there and got alphaed by the defender and the dude picked it off and that's game, you know? I, I don't know, man. Christian Watson, I don't think is actually that good. I think he's an athletic freak. I think he's still raw as a wide receiver. And so you're going to get the, hey, this is a super athletic guy who's fast as fuck and he'll score a breakaway touchdown every once in a while. Don't think it's a, a kind of player that I want to be paying. This is Gabe Davis right. on a worse offense, man. Like, what are yeah. we doing? What are we so, doing? I mean, it is his usage stats were good. Like, he had 187 air yards and 24% targets per out run and seven targets. So, like, good good usage there. And but then to only get a what 11.6 and PBR points from that. And I guess you could call some of it variance that maybe if he if he adds the touchdown, like. You're, you're well if you if he has to touch down you're getting uh, uh closer to 18 points there um but a lot of the other targets were nothing burgers though it was like here's christian watson five yards down the field woo like on a on a play where the defense couldn't care less about giving him five yards you know like i don't know i'm uh i'm fully ready to eat my curl on this but uh yeah i, I don't know I, I, I get it. Um, where like maybe some of them are like really deep down the field. It's like you have two fifty yard, uh, and then a bunch of like lower a dot stuff. Um, but one hundred eighty seven. That, that that that's that's a lot of air yards. And um, but it's if if the distribution is working out like that, then those those can often be players then where you don't actually get that good good a score because like. Getting, let's say, getting uh, five targets twenty yards down the field for hundred air yards is is way better than like one seventy yard bomb, and then for like uh, whatever whatever the remaining air yards divided by uh, by four is, um, so yeah, it, the distribution could, could definitely work against him there, um, so definitely uh, understand that for sure. That's that's very well put, and I feel like you explain my point in a much more intelligent way than Christian Watson bad. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for that. I, I didn't have yeah. a ton of other guys on this uh, chart to add, so, though. Did you did you have anyone else? So just Christian Watson still pick fifty one. So happened to take him in the fifth round, which does it feels a, a definitely rich. For the information we've gotten on this offense, and then and definitely with like, I mean, he wasn't a great Christian Watson wasn't a great prospect, so definitely yeah, definitely understand the point there. And Christian, so, Christian Watson at fifty one couldn't be me, couldn't right? Be I, me. I I didn't take very much um this year um even though the 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 the, the way the targets per run were were excellent last year and then. But it did feel just a little bit too rich given the uh, given the, the overall profile. And 
So Tank Dale up here, I think we've discussed that. Super excited. Zay Jones, the cheap Jaguar, uh, sort of like not at, not quite paying off or, or not quite giving you something to be excited about. Um, but would hope for a uh, hope for a big week um in future. And I did notice that Sky Moore, he's available in our he was available on, on waivers in our uh, in our main event team. And he definitely looks like a player who, who should be available. On waivers. <laughs> and, and on waivers, he shall remain. <laughs> um, but yeah, nothing, nothing else really compelling here. I don't think. Well, do you, uh, I, I know we went over two hours, so maybe we just do uh do a quick fun little thing here, but, uh, I, I did want to show off the, uh, the BBM four leaderboard that we've got up over at spike week. Now it's like an actual leaderboard where you can see, you know, the whole teams of the players and the scores for each week and everything and look at different combinations and cool stuff. I wanted, wanted to go through a couple here, maybe, maybe like the top team and a couple combos, but we, we did have a pretty long, uh, pretty long one here, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of look at this real quick. Okay. <laughs> do you know how to share a screen on this? I think I'm doing Ooh. it. Did I do Whoa. it? I think cool. you did it. All right. So this here is our, our premium leaderboard. You have to zoom, though. Oh, you're right. Thank you. Let's uh, – oh. There we go. Okay. Um, so this is our premium leaderboard. If you have a Spike Week subscription, you can see this. Um you, you can do the leaderboard with players, which is just going to be like this. Really what the premium lets you do is see specific weeks and like all the points and everything. So we'll, we'll do that one because that's the most fun. But I, I did want to look at the top team here. I do think, was it Steph, did you get this guy to share his team uh, over on Twitter? Uh, but now if we run into the random first place team and no one can suss the guy out on Twitter or figure out who he is, don't worry, we'll be able to see the team. So uh, first place uh, definitely has uh, seen better days at quarterback with his Anthony Richardson going down. But, I mean, he's got all the usual suspects you'd expect on a first place team with Puka and Kyron. He's got Mostert and a chain in, or a Chan in there. Tajay's exciting. Um, the bully tight end, though, is very interesting. I'm pretty sure that this guy's just going to – Gonna wind up kind of dead at uh, at wide receiver here as the season goes on. Um, looks a, a little bit thin. Um, a lot of three QB teams at the top right now. This team though, this was one that I looked at earlier with the Josh Allen Justin Fields. This one I do think is kind of dead though for first place because they're both week thirteen buys. And like if you're trying to literally hit the nuts as the first overall highest scoring team in regular season, you got to have something crazy happen. Like basically this guy's out is he needs Mac Hollins to score enough to replace whatever, like anyone who have a, a good number of his combos covered um, like his, his week 13 quarterback score that he misses out on. He needs Mac Hollins or like chase Brown to score. Like one of these guys that's not, you see this 8% owned here. That shows the frequency with which they were drafted. So a player that's drafted in every draft will be 8%. Anyone under that is 
you know, you can see basically as a proportion. So this guy was drafted in five out of every eight drafts, basically, you know, um, kind of a, a quick way to do that. Uh, but yeah, we, we don't, we don't have to scroll through too many here. Um, I didn't, I didn't see anyone that I recognized from like, uh, deposit kingdom or, or ship chasing here at the very top. Um, but if you're, if you're wanting to, to play around with this, it's, I was having a lot of fun earlier. You can toggle through 500 lineups here at a time and have them all be displayed. If you're not wanting to look at, uh, all the players, you can do up to a thousand at a time and just kind of flip through them really quick, find yourself. Uh, if you are a Spike Week member, you get your little your little Spike Week thing there. And then if you're wanting to uh, to search for yourself, like let's see, do I have any between seven thousand? Oh, okay. This this doppelganger name guy, this sack dance character. Um, what what's he rocking here? Oh, we we went all the way back to the start. We have to, we're we're not gonna go through all that trouble again. But I, I keep seeing this guy on the leaderboards, and uh, I was looking up his exposures as well. He's got like all the same overweight positions as me. I, I gotta gotta find this character. Uh, Steph, are you are you up in the top five hundred? We'll we'll pull you up here. Oh, you're, you're. I am actually curious where Walrus Balls is. Uh, Walrus Balls is still pretty high up. Ooh, we got okay. So Steph's rocking place four seventy five here. Jalen Hurts, Jordan Love. That's a that was a really nice start that you got from Jordan Love to get those. Uh, especially when Hurts is having some of the lower scoring weeks. ETN, B-Rob, Warren, Achan, that's really nice. Um, the Chandler stuff, you're you're feeling a little thinner there now with uh, with Acres there. But, I mean, your wide receivers are also so nasty. The Mike Williams one is pretty painful, though. That's going to be really hard um, to, to be live for first place. It's just so, so tough. You basically have to hit the nuts. Like, we were talking about this earlier with respect to the drafters format, but like teams with Justin Jefferson and drafters, you're dead. Like, sorry, no first place for you. Teams with a Chan and drafters, you're dead. Unlucky. Like you, you pretty much have to hit the perfect nuts. Um, so getting a dead player like that with that amount of draft capital, the only way that I would see this team being like actually live for first is you get Chandler to come on because he's only a 6% owned player and you get Michael Wilson to do some stuff. But if you, if you got like a legitimate Michael Wilson season, then this is a really, really strong team. I mean, it's probably not to, not to mush you, but this is probably a lock to advance. Like it looks really strong. So that's an awesome team. Oh yeah. Very, very valid point that Addison might ascend enough um, with J Jeff out, but yeah, that's a, that's a very fun team. And then, like, if you wanted to see, for example, Sorry. <laughs> I, I I gotta run pretty soon. Okay, we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap it up here. But like, if you want to see player combos, we we've got all that stuff over here. Uh, you can see their draft rate, the QBs they were stacked with. Interesting that Justice Hill was stacked the most with Dak Prescott and CD Lamb. But uh, I'll, I'll let you guys fiddle around with this. Uh, all the tournament info, tournament DB, and the free version of the leaderboards. Go check those out. Uh, really fun and cool to to play around with the actual BBM4 leaderboard. But uh, for everyone that managed to make it for two and a quarter hours, we appreciate you. Uh, hope you got some good alpha from the show. Uh, and uh, we will see you next week at the usual time of Tuesday night at 5 o'clock. But uh, 8, 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you. Yeah, Pacific. Yeah. 
bullshit. I, I'm on the best coast time, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys, and uh, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.